Nehemiah chapter 2. This is God's holy word. It's a book of history, but it's also a book that tells us of a wonderful deliverance, acting and moving of God. This is God's holy revelation given by the Holy Spirit to Nehemiah, starting at verse 11. Hear the word of the Lord. Actually, we'll pick it up a little bit more and we'll start at verse 9. Then I came to the governors of the provinces beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen, with Sanba- when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about it, it was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. And I arose in the night and a few men with me. I did not tell anyone what my God was putting into my mind to do for Jerusalem. And there was no uh, animal with me except the animal on which I was riding. So I went out at night by the valley gate in the direction of the dragon's well and on to the refuse gate, inspecting the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down and its gates, which were consumed by fire. Then I passed on to the fountain gate in the king's pool And there was no place for my mount to pass. So I went up at night by the ravine and inspected the wall. Then I entered the valley gate again and returned. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done, nor had I as yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the rest who did the work. Then I said to them, You see the bad situation we are in that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. Then they said, let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard it, they mocked us and despised us and said, What is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? So I answered and said to them, The God of heaven will give us success. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion right or memorial in Jerusalem. Let us pray. Our blessed Father, as we study this, your word, we pray that you would help us to be assured that these are the very words of life, that only through your word can we know anything at all, that your holy word is the ultimate truth by which all other truths must be interpreted. And we pray, bless this your word. As we look around at the revelation that you have given us in in the world, help us, we pray, to interpret all things in accordance to this your word. Help us, we pray, to believe and to respond with faith 
into those things that you are revealing unto us. For we ask all these things uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a call to rebuild here in Nehemiah because there was a wall that was broken down and gates of Jerusalem that are burned with fire. And God revealed unto Nehemiah that there was a necessity of rebuilding. Now, is it only a call to rebuild for those of the the Jews of old? What about today? Is there a call for the church to rebuild what is broken down? As uh, we were reminded to celebrate uh, Father's Day in the modern church, sometimes um, just like in the world outside, there's a lacking of good Christian fathers who are devoted in, in taking care of their families. There's often a lack of fathers who are even with their families. Sometimes there's fatherless or deadbeat dads around, um, and people grow up. People grow up without the nurture of both a mother and a father. And that is something that has affected not only the church, but even especially the world outside. As we look at Nehemiah, Nehemiah was a man, as we look back at the end of uh, chapter 1, he says that he was the cupbearer of the king. Um, When he says he's the cupbearer of the king, it means that he was a trusted official of King Artaxerxes. He was a highly trusted official who was trusted even with the very life of the king. That's what one of the major roles of the cupbearer was to ensure that someone didn't poison the king, which was something common during this time in history. But uh, Nehemiah, in this capacity, serving as this trusted official of the king, he was sent word by those of his brethren who were in Jerusalem of what was going on in that land. They told him how the walls were broken down and the gates were burned with fire. So Nehemiah wept, he mourned, he prayed, and he fasted for days. And he was praying because he wanted to approach the king and ask for permission to go back and rebuild the wall. He didn't have to even ask. The king noticed on his face that he was sad. And the king, when asking him about it, he told him the source of his grief was the plight of his people back in Jerusalem. So therefore, the king allowed him to go back. The good hand of God was upon Nehemiah to give him favor before the king. He was allowed all sorts of privileges The king allowed him to set a particular time when he was allowed to be away. We find out by other sources that he was away approximately 12 years. That's a nice little long leave of absence to go do something for your church, isn't it? And then the king gave him letters of protection and authority so that he could pass on his way to get to Jerusalem. Um, If you look at the end of the chapter, uh, chapter, um, I'm sorry, the end of that section, Chapter 2, starting at verse 7, he says, If it please the king, let letters be given me for the governors of the provinces beyond the river, that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest. And then he's asking for timber for the sake of the temple, and even timber so that he could even repair or even build a house for himself when he gets there. It's not sure whether or not he had a letter that was going to go to those officials in Jerusalem itself. 
And we'll look a little bit at that later. Uh, he was given, it says, officers of the army and even horsemen. Didn't ask for that, but the king granted him officers and officials to help him and give protection during his travels, at least till he gets to Jerusalem. As we get to today's text, verses really 11 through the end of the chapter, the focus that we will see in today's text is that God calls you to arise and work for the sake of the kingdom. God calls you to arise and work for the sake of the kingdom. And we'll look at this in two main points as we study the text. The inspection and call or command to build. And secondly, the workers arise and so does opposition. The workers arise and so does opposition. Let's look at this first main point. The inspection and call or command to build. Uh, verses 12 through 15 give us this, this long account of how he was going out at night to inspect the wall. Um, it, it says that there was an animal that he was likely riding on, and he had, it says he had a few men with him, maybe three. So it was three men with him, perhaps, um, likely an armed guard, going out at night in the middle of the night with those, uh, those around whom who didn't like the Jews was probably a dangerous thing. And I believe he went out at night because he wanted to keep his plan under the radar of those pagan officials in the land. He knew that there would be opposition, so he went out at night to inspect. And as we, get, uh, as we look at that account, it mentions that the fountain gate and the king's pool had no place for him to pass. In other words, he's on an animal. Um, it doesn't say necessarily a horse, a mount. Um, he was maybe on a donkey or a horse, and then he was trying to go and inspect, but there was no place to pass, and likely it was because there was an immense pile of rubble. So that in some sections, the gates of Jerusalem was so bad, it was this huge mass of rubble that he couldn't even get around on a steed with. So he had to get off on foot and inspect by foot. Every good plan... Every good plan that you want for your life requires an inspection. Doctors have to inspect patients to find out what their diagnosis is to then know how to treat them accurately. And because we are at war with the, war, with the world, the flesh, and the devil, because we are at war, we need to have steady, firm defenses. We need to have walls you could say, of defense and weapons of war. And the modern church itself needs to have an accurate assessment of what is lacking in, for the sake of the church. Like Nehemiah, when we look at the church in modern times and we, we look around and we, we could say like Nehemiah, the situation is pretty bad, isn't it? That's what he said. When he, he, he went to the uh, officials and he said, the situation here is rather bad. The situation we're in is rather bad. Now, some might ask, well, what was really the urgency of why they had to have these walls repaired in the first place? Well, um, were they really in danger of, of, I guess, of being harmed? It didn't, the text doesn't show that they were actively being uh, attacked. But as we look at today's text, especially chapter 2, 19, it mentions some local Gentiles, Horonites, Ammonites, 
and Arabs who hated the Jewish people. It says they mocked us and despised us. Now we're not going to look at we're not going to turn there today, but I have it written there in your outline in chapter four eleven. It talks about the the intensified the intensified opposition. It says that those Gentiles in the area, as they began repairing the wall, it says our enemies said they will not know or see until we come among them, kill them, and put a stop to the work. Some people there wanted to kill the Jews to put a stop to their work. So if I had neighbors like that, if I had neighbors who would say stuff like that, I think I would want some defenses. I would want the best security system possible and a nice good, some nice, uh, sound, useful weapons for defense if I had people saying, I want to kill them and stop their work. So that's why they wanted this wall built because they had neighbors like this. And, and I think that we would want such defense. And again, in, in this time and age, it wasn't, they were allowed to bear arms. Even though they were under the rule of Artaxerxes, they were allowed to have weapons of defense, spears, javelins, uh, bows and arrows. They were allowed to have weapons of defense, but really, without a wall to defend from, it's not that useful. And so they needed this wall of protection. That was the security system of that day. So after he inspects the damage and they, they know they need this wall done, Nehemiah brought his report to the Jewish priests, the nobles, the officials. He called them, he charged them, you can almost say he commanded them to build. Um, verses 17, look at verses 17 through 18. Then I said to them, you see the bad situation we are in. That Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burn with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. Now, for you young people, you probably don't hear this word reproach. I don't know the last time your parent used that word in reference to to someone, uh, except maybe when reading the Bible, but it's, it's rather an outdated English word. The Hebrew word used for, or translated as reproach, according to the New American Standard, could also be translated a shame or a disgrace. We were a shame. We were a disgrace because this wall was broken down. People would point and laugh at us and ridicule us. And he argues and he says, well, don't you want the wall rebuilt? Because we don't want to be a disgrace and a shame any longer. That's what it means to have, to be a reproach. Nehemiah's persuasion prevailed upon them and then he was given this blessed, good response. Look next at our second main point. The workers arise and so does opposition. First thing we want to look at is how the workers arise. Verse 18, Nehemiah after he assured them how God's good hand of favor was upon him, and he had the king's approval, then they said, let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. Whether you're a pastor, an elder, a deacon, a business owner, a, um, um, a supervisor at work, or maybe you're a military leader among other men, 
if you have a position of leadership, this is one of the most blessed things that you could hear from someone. Let us get up and work. Let us arise and build. I'm tired of sitting around. I want to get up and build. That's something we want to hear, don't we? What's most important is they, they weren't just talk. They weren't just talk and talk to please Nehemiah. It says in the same verse, verse 18, they put their hands to the good work. And we'll look at some of that in future uh, messages. And when they saw this work arise, the pagans in the areas were livid. They were angry. And that's, again, the reason why Nehemiah did the inspection at night, because he wanted to delay the, the rage of the, of the people around them. Look at this opposition that arises. Verse 19. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard it, they mocked us and despised us and said, What is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Now at this point I've often wondered, why didn't he just show him the letters from the king? But it, it, it kind of seems to say that at the, in the prior verses that he gave the letters to other officials Either that or these people were totally aware of the letters altogether. But at the, same, at the same time, I think the reason Nehemiah did not try to argue reason with these individuals is because they were those sorts of people. They were the sorts of people with stubborn pride that don't listen to facts, to reason, to science, to wise counsel. Um, they were, as it describes in Proverbs twelve fifteen, the way of the fool is one who's right in his own eyes. No matter what you say or what you're going to argue with them, they're not going to listen because they're just that stubborn. And that's the kind of people he was dealing with. I think we're faced with a similar situation, aren't we? We have a dilemma. We have people in our nation. You can show them genetics. You can show them, the, the, you can show them uh, statistics. You can show them proof from science. You can show them the holy word of God Almighty and they still cannot be convinced that there is such thing as two genders, a man and a woman. Or they can't even look at a woman and define that she's a woman by looking at anatomy and looking at function. That a woman has a special ability to do something that man can't do. That she can bear a child and she can deliver a child and she can nurse a child. But no, we don't know what a woman or a man is. See, that's the kind of people... Nehemiah was dealing with people that don't listen to reason science facts or anything whatsoever another reason why they opposed uh, the apostle I'm sorry another reason why they opposed Nehemiah is given by uh, the account of the apostle Paul in 2nd Corinthians keep your place in Nehemiah but turn to 2nd Corinthians 2 let's look at 2nd Corinthians 2 Starting in verse 14. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved, and among those who are perishing to the one an aroma from death to death, to the other an aroma from life to life. 
and who is adequate for these things. For we are not like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God we speak in Christ in the sight of God. Think about that. When you witness to someone, you ever think that you speak in Christ in the sight of God as his representative? You're giving and telling others the words of life. What a wonderful privilege. But notice, if you witness to someone and they respond with joy in receiving the words of eternal life, they receive not only the message, but they receive the person of Christ and they receive Christ whom you represent. But in the same fashion, when you witness or respond to someone and they have anger, resentment, opposition, or even hate, they hate your message because they have an aroma of death because they have not just rejected your message, they reject the one your message represents, namely Christ. So maybe you could say here in the text that Nehemiah and his brethren who sought to worship the Lord, they were an aroma of death unto these men because they were not part of the kingdom. Notice Nehemiah's reply as we turn back um, to Nehemiah. Nehemiah's reply to those who were opposed to the work. Look at verse 20. Um, Nehemiah 2.20 So I answered them and said to them, The God of heaven will give us success. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion, right, or memorial in Jerusalem. I like the confidence, the God-given confidence that Nehemiah has. The God of heaven will give us success. Therefore, we are his servants. We will arise and build. That's It's a God-given confidence. And what is it based on? I think it's based on his future experience because God had already had his hand for good upon him. He gave him favor with the king. He started that good work to let him go all the way to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall. Why was God not going to finish what he started? And God did allow Nehemiah to finish what he started. It's because of that good hand of God was upon him. But at the end of verse 20, Nehemiah said to Tobiah and the Ammonite and to his two friends, you have no portion, right, or memorial in Jerusalem. Now, as we, we're, I'm going to take a little preview for you of what's going to happen later. One of the reasons why these guys were angry to see the work of the wall go up is because they actually saw a leader who seemed like he believed in the God of Israel who was doing things according to the, to the Lord's way. And as we look later on in, in this account, later on as we will turn, don't turn there, but in chapter 13 later, the same guy who's opposing Nehemiah was actually a leech living in the storehouses of the temple, or the courts of the temple, actually. He had, one of the priests favored him because I think he had was a marriage relationship because he, there was intermarriage going on between the Jews and, and these local Gentiles. But he was given a large room in the courthouse of the temple. A pagan allowed to just basically ha- set up his pad, his little apartment or whatever, in the temple. 
Of course, we'll find out later that this is, this is what uh, Nehemiah comes to say. You have no right. You have no proportion or memorial in Jerusalem. Get out of here. And then that's uh, what Nehemiah did. And I believe this guy and was so angry at Nehemiah because he saw the writing on the wall. You know, once this wall is going to come up, I'm probably not going to, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be able to live in that temple anymore. So I'm going to fight as much as I can to get at this guy. Tobiah saw the writing on the wall and he saw that he was going to lose his place. Again, God calls you to arise and work. May God give you the ability to assess what needs to change, what needs to be done, what needs to improve for the sake of the church. And again, one of the things that we we see in our society is a broken family. We see young people without fathers. And we as a church, as a whole, can try to find ways to reach out to youth in the community. We want to be those uh, who can act as, you could say, models of, of godly fathers unto them. We want to rise up and do the work to face the opposition. There will be opposition. Not everyone will like you because you're a Christian. Some people will not like you as a Christian because to them you are an aroma of death unto death. But at the same time, when you go and you speak the word that God has for you to share the holy word of the Lord, some will believe and it shall be an aroma of life. And rather than opposition, you have joy and fellow brothers and sisters who will also come in to the kingdom to work and serve alongside. This Nehemiah pointed us to the necessity of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Again, the walls of the kingdom of God need to be rebuilt. Not just the walls of the days of old, but the walls of the church itself. Most importantly, that steadfast foundation, which must be obtained by each and every one of you, is the foundation of the wall. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. Do you believe and trust in him as that sure foundation? If you do not have faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, confess your sins, put your faith in him, and build your life upon this one and only sure foundation, even Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray together. Our blessed Father, as we consider what is lacking in the walls of the kingdom and even in the society, Lord, we, we pray that you would help us to trust only in that sure foundation which can be found only in Christ our Lord. Help us, we pray, to embrace Jesus Christ as the cornerstone that we would build our lives upon him. We pray that you would forgive us of our sins, Lord, that we would embrace Jesus Christ as salvation and that when the winds come, when the rains come, that we would not be washed away or blown away, but we would have a sure footing upon Christ, our solid rock. Help and bless and keep us and help us to put our faith in him and to get up and to arise and build. Lord, by your Holy Spirit and by your 
word. Stir us up to love and good deeds that we might rebuild the things that are lacking uh, for the sake of the church. For we ask all these things in the blessed name of Christ our Lord. Amen. For our hymn of dedication, we'll stand and sing 535, Go Labor On. Let's stand and sing 535, Go 